When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Who were the signers of the Declaration of Independence? How did their lives lead them to that Second Continental Congress? And what can we learn from them? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. So to kick things off, we're going to do a quick flashback to your elementary school history class. I know everyone's excited. On April 19th, 1775, fighting broke out between the British and the colonies at the Battle of Lexington and Concord, effectively starting the Revolutionary War. But what you might not remember is at that time, the colonies weren't fighting for their independence. They were just fighting for their right to not be taxed by the crown. Now, remember the Sugar Act and the Stamp Act and then later the Townsend Acts? No, well, that's okay too. Either way, here's the interesting part. Most people in the colonies had actually hoped to repair their relationship with Great Britain. But as the fighting continued, the colonies began to seriously consider that idea of independence. That's where our story picks up. Thomas Jefferson was selected to draft a Declaration of Independence. And by June of 1776, 56 delegates converged on Philadelphia at the Second Continental Congress. By July 2nd, the Declaration of Independence was passed with no opposing votes. And on July 4th, 1776, the document was ratified, giving birth to our country and our Independence Day. But just to give you an idea of where we are in the timeline of American history, this is nearly 13 years before the United States Constitution would come into effect. At the time the Declaration of Independence was signed, the colonies had as many as six years of fighting ahead of them, since the fighting wouldn't end in its entirety until 1783. And if the fighting didn't go their way, that document, with all their names attached, was likely a death sentence. So who were these men in that Second Continental Congress who so bravely declared our independence from Great Britain? To learn more about these gentlemen and how their decision to declare independence impacted their lives, I am joined by Richard Brookheiser. Richard is a senior editor at National Review and the author of a series of biographies of America's founders, including Founding Father, Give Me Liberty, A History of America's Exceptional Idea, and more. Richard, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. So, you know, we're coming up on the 4th of July, fireworks, hot dogs, American flags. We're celebrating the birth of America's independence. It's a good reminder that we weren't always free, right? So if you don't mind, Richard, can we just start this show off by maybe you telling me a quick recap of the details surrounding the Declaration of Independence? Sure. Well, the war had been going on for over a year, the Revolutionary War. That had started in April of 1775. Uh, That's when uh, Lexington and Concord happened. And then the Battle of Bunker Hill was May. So there'd been a lot going on already. And why did we hesitate so long to declare our independence from a country whose armies we were fighting? Well, it's a good question. I think I think the main reason is just reluctance to take that final leap. The the 13 
uh, rebellious colonies about to become states had had been colonies for decades, some of them for up to 150 years or more. And to sever that tie, especially when most of the people who, who lived in them came from Britain or were descended from people who had come from Britain. I mean, there were also German Americans here, and there were uh, there were lots of of black slaves uh, from Africa, and also black free people. But of the white political population, so many of them were from Britain. So it's tough. It's just tough. And also, there was a notion: well, yes, we're being misgoverned; they're oppressing us. But that's Parliament. You know, Parliament is doing that, and also the king has bad advisors who were causing all these bad policies, you know, heavy taxes and and taxes that we have no role in setting and on and on. But the king is a good guy, isn't he? Maybe maybe he'll fix it all. Well, that uh, that we couldn't believe anymore. At the end of towards the end of 1775, George III gives a speech uh, to Parliament where he says he's, you know, he's really going to crack down on these rebellious colonies. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't even cling to him anymore. But, you know, still it took a while. And I think the final, maybe the final impetus was we realized we couldn't get foreign help unless we declared ourselves an independent country. Now, France is on the sidelines of this whole conflict. France has been fighting England in a series of wars for almost a hundred years, you know, off and on wars. The French and Indian War was just one of this series of wars. So they're very pleased that England is having trouble with its empire and that its uh, North American colonies are in revolt, but they can't openly help us unless we say we're a separate nation. Otherwise, they're, they're meddling in the internal affairs you know, uh, of 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 Britain, and that's that's just not done. That's not kosher. So, in order to get French help, we would have to declare our independence. And I think that was kind of the final argument that uh, pushes us uh, in this direction. Okay, you mentioned so many important dates in your answer there, and and I, I'm curious why we count Fourth of July as Independence Day. Obviously, we signed the Declaration of Independence. Independence Day makes sense, but you know why not when the British surrendered at Yorktown in 1781? Um, maybe why not when the fighting formally ended in 1783? The date our Constitution was effective in 1789. I mean, why did we choose this date? Well, this is this is the day when the rebels say. Uh, we're, we're not just pleading for a better deal within the British Empire. We are assuming a position among the nations of the earth as one of them. Now, we had to back this up, you know, and if we'd failed, no one would remember the 4th of July and, and no one would remember the revolution or, or any of it. Right. Uh, it would have gone down in history as a dead end. So, so this was this was the moment when we declared it. We declared our independence, and then then of course we had to back it up. And it and it would take, as you say, um, six more years of uh, of fighting, and then finally a peace treaty being signed in 1783. But uh, uh, July 1776 is when we make the move. Now the motion 
to be free and independent states had been passed by Congress on July 2nd. And there's a famous letter by John Adams, who's, who's one of the signers of the Declaration, and he goes on to become the second president. And he's writing his dear wife, Abigail, back home in Boston. And they have a lifetime of intelligent, delightful correspondence. And he's writing her and saying, this is a great day. This day should be celebrated with bonfires and cannon fire and illuminations and celebrations, you know, forever. And he's talking about July 2nd mm-hmm. rather than the 4th. But the reason we do the 4th is, is, is the 4th is the date on the formal declaration. Congress had taken the vote on the 2nd, but the formal declaration uh, gets gets finalized on the 4th. So that is the day we celebrate. Right. And you mentioned, obviously, John Adams, and we'll get into specific names in a little bit. But how many people were involved in this and what were their backgrounds? I mean, how did their careers or their lifestyles lead them to this moment? Well, it's, um, you know, the the signers didn't all sign on the 4th. A lot of them signed later. Uh, there, there were some people who you know, who'd even missed the vote, who's who straggled in later because their their, their states uh, uh, had sent them later, uh, later to the Congress. So they were from uh, 13 colonies now becoming states that stretched from uh, well, Maine was part of Massachusetts at that time. So the northernmost uh, state was New Hampshire uh, down the coast to Georgia, uh, Florida, then belonging to Spain. So those are the 13 colonies. Uh, most of the people uh, in attendance, uh, a lot of them were lawyers. Several of them were merchants. A number of them f- from the southern states were planters, you know, wealthy plantation owners. There were a few oddballs. Uh, there was one uh, minister who was also a college president. That's John Witherspoon from New Jersey. Uh, There was one politician who was also an organist in his spare time. Uh, And then there was there was a doctor, Benjamin Rush uh, from from Pennsylvania. So there there were a few, you know, people with odd professions, but most of them were were lawyers and planters with with a sprinkling of merchants. And these were men who who had been sent to Philadelphia uh, by the colonies uh, now to become the states in which they lived. I don't mean to interrupt, but why them? Why were they chosen? Well, by this point, all of them are committed, firmly committed to the Patriot cause. This is the Second Continental Congress. The first one meets in 1774. The second one begins meeting in 1775. And then it simply is called is called Congress. Uh, in the first Continental Congress, there were some people on the fence. There were some people who thought that the British Empire could still be preserved. Maybe there could be mm-hmm. some sort of double parliament, or maybe uh, the American colonies could be represented in the parliament in London. So you'd call them uh, men in the middle, moderates, 
uh, and they're gone by the time of the second Congress. They, they see uh, things are going in a direction that's too radical for them. They're not radical enough for their states. So they fall by the wayside and some of them become end up becoming loyalists and quite, quite bitter, determined ones. But by 1776, everybody there is a is a committed American patriot. Now, some of them are still reluctant to go that final step. And there are uh, a few who will not sign the declaration at the end of the day, but these people are not, are not pro-British. They are still, they think of themselves as Americans, they think of themselves as patriots, and they will support the revolution. They just believe as of July 1776 that it's still too early to do this, although they they all end up coming around. Okay, so I want to touch on what you just said. You said some were reluctant to sign. And I'm curious, the ones who did sign, was there any risk factor uh, associated with them in any way? Because I'm, I'm guessing, and this is a big moment in our history, you could imagine there's probably some things to think about. So what were the risks of actually signing the Declaration of Independence? Well, being hanged. You know, hanged as a That's traitor. a big risk, that's, Richard. That's a big, that's yeah, a that's big a, risk. That's a big one. And there was some joking about this uh, as people were signing. The wealthiest man, one of the wealthiest, was a planter from Maryland named Daniel Carroll of Carrollton. I mean, he's so fancy, he gets a, a Daniel Carroll name. of Carrollton. You know? <laughs> I'm not just plain old Daniel Carroll. I'm of Carrollton, which is wow. my nation that's named after me. Uh, and he he was the wealthiest, uh, believed he was the wealthiest man in America. And as he was signing, someone else said, there go a few millions. Uh, a, a, another signer was from Virginia, Benjamin Harrison. And he was a big... Um, big fat man. And he joked with Elbridge Jerry, who was from Massachusetts. And Jerry was was a little guy, short and very slight. And so Harrison says, well, when I'm hanged, you know, I'm just going to drop right down. I'll be dead right away. But you poor you, you'll dangle for half an hour. That's uh, awful, Richard. There was a certain amount of gallows humor going on, but it, it wasn't just a joke. And um, three of these men from South Carolina would be captured during the war by the British and held as prisoners. They weren't so badly treated, but one of the signers from New Jersey, Richard Stockton, was was captured and and held prisoner. And he was he was really badly treated. And it he was released, but it probably shortened his life, the experience. Mm. So. uh, So, yeah, this this was not just, uh, you know, answering a pollster or something. This this was putting yourself on the line. Yeah, you're when you talk about being hanged, you're definitely putting yourself on the line, your whole life on the line. Benjamin Franklin, you say he's the most famous American in the world at the time, and that's without social media, Richard. Right. He's one of the older delegates there. He's at this moment, he's the most famous American in the world. You know, he has he has done his experiments with electricity, really groundbreaking scientific work. Uh, he's a pioneering journalist. He's written Poor Richard's Almanac, already uh, an early bestseller. Uh, he is also really almost up until the last minute. He's been an imperialist. He's been living in London. Uh, he tries to save the British Empire. He hopes that Britain will alter its, modify its policies so that America and Britain can hang together. 
And, and it's really very late in the game that he decides Britain is hopeless and he comes back to America and he throws himself into the patriot cause. So he is he's the, the glittering ornament uh, in this body. He's you, you say he's the most famous American in the world at the at time. That moment, at, at that, that moment. At yes. that moment. Can you imagine that's without social media, Richard? Can you imagine if Benjamin Franklin lived nowadays? Do you- oh, he would love it. He would love it. He would be on on top of it. He'd be inventing new forms of it. This guy was was Mr. Media. And you have to remember the one thing that exists then, the one modern media thing they have is newspapers. Right. And, and if you live in a large, in a city, a large city, you have a daily newspaper. You know, a lot of them are weeklies. But if you live, say, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Charleston, they have daily newspapers. So we already have modern media culture. The first form of it already exists. Literacy in America is very high. So people are reading these things. What do you think that Benjamin Franklin would think of social media like Instagram and Twitter and and what do you think he would think of maybe the Kardashians being arguably one of the more famous famous families in the world because of social media Oh he'd have a lot of fun with the Kardashians I mean he's <laughs> he's um you know he's great at hoaxes he he's great at, at imitating other people you know and, Oh and I would has, love to see Benjamin Franklin has, imitate Kylie Jenner he has the greatest straight face in the world. You know, he can he can just say the most outrageous thing pretending to be Joe Schmo or whoever it is. Also, he writes short, you know, the, the uh, poor Richard's almanac. I mentioned that. But that's just a collection of little sayings. And, and he wrote them as fillers for the pages of his almanac. You know, there's a little blank space. So don't have a blank space. Stick a little proverb in there, or a little thought for the day. Well, wow, that's pretty much an instant. Instagram caption. Yeah, People exactly. use quotes I mean, all the time. He, yeah, he he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't have even needed Twitter to go up to 280 characters. He would have been happy with 140. Um, no, he he would have loved uh, loved our media evolution. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Okay, another guy we think of is John Adams. Can you tell me a little bit more about him? Uh, John Adams, we we all know because he becomes president. He's he's actually the second most important Adams in the room at that moment because his older cousin Samuel, Samuel huh? Samuel, yeah, Sam, uh, after whom the beer is named, and mm. and he was a brewer. He did own a brewery in Boston, but he was older than John. Uh, he was a radical politician for years. He had been causing trouble in Boston, and he really drew his cousin John into the Patriot cause, and the two of them became uh, a team in in Massachusetts politics. And so they are part of the delegation that Massachusetts sends to this Congress. And, And John distinguishes himself as an orator. You know, we don't remember that about him, partly because he never writes his speeches down. It's it's a strange thing. Hmm. And I've 
I've written about him and I wondered if he might not have had a kind of ADD because he he was eloquent on the floor. And then afterwards, he, he never bothered to write his speeches down. He said, I can't remember what I said or I was just saying things I'd said over and over uh, for months. But um, he he was called our Colossus on the floor, the Atlas of Independence. Uh, people were just so impressed by his eloquence. And, and he was eloquent in the cause of let's take this step. Let's get this done. So and, and we all know the name John Hancock because his his signature is the largest of all of them on the document. And he was the presiding officer of Congress at, at the time that this all goes down. He's another Massachusetts delegate. He's a very wealthy merchant. He's been a smuggler for years. And his point of view is that that Britain's laws restricting American trade are, are really unjust and we ought to be able to send our ships wherever we like, which he does, uh, which makes him a smuggler. And he, he runs afoul of British laws and, you know, he, he ends up in admiralty court and, and big cases are generated by all this. And, and so he has a very direct economic motive for uh, being in the patriot cause. And Thomas Jefferson, he is obviously credited for writing a lot of the Declaration of Independence. Richard, what do you know about him? He's a delegate from Virginia, but he's young. Uh, he's he's 33 years old. Now, his claim to fame is that he he has written a pamphlet uh, that everybody uh, thinks is, is very striking the previous year, a pamphlet uh, in defense of American rights and defense of the American cause. Uh, and it's ringing. You know, it's it, it was a very good job. So when Congress wants to formally express what it's doing and why, see, it's not enough just to vote for independence. You have to tell they believe we have to tell the world and we have to tell ourselves. We have to tell Americans why we're doing this. Right. Uh, why why we're doing this and why we have a right to do this. It's both at once. Uh, much of the Declaration of Independence, most of it, is a list of the bad things that George III and Parliament have been doing to us. You know, you could think of those as the specific causes for this breach. But the introduction to it is why we have a right to act on these causes. You know, it's not just we've been mistreated, it's we've been mistreated and therefore, as as human beings, we have a right to take action. Mm -hmm. And that's what the first paragraphs of the Declaration establish. So this job is given to uh, a committee of five. Uh, Franklin and John Adams are two of the members. Uh, the other uh, two others are Roger Sherman from Connecticut and Robert Livingston from New York. And, and they would both go on to have long, distinguished careers. They don't do hardly anything uh, in terms of producing the Declaration of Independence. They, they're just on the committee. But so the active members are Franklin and Adams and Jefferson. And uh, the three of them agree that Jefferson is the one who should write it up. And uh, he does so. It takes him a couple of days. Uh, Franklin and Adams make a few suggestions, uh, very small suggestions. Then Jefferson's draft is submitted to Congress. And then there follows a two-day editing session. 
and they 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 go over uh very detailed they go over his accusations against george the third and that's where most of the editing happens you know they 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 trim this and they take out that and they change this other thing over here because you know everybody has an opinion and they want to get these details right and to edit is a big deal right because it's not like they're typing this up you know they have to do they have to rewrite it every single time well, I mean, someone is taking is taking there's a secretary taking notes of, of all the proposals and whatnot. And then someone with good penmanship, you know, does the final thing. But there's this charming story uh, which Jefferson tells on himself. I have to give him credit for that. But he says he was sitting there. And he just hated this. You know, he was he was a shy man and also a proud man, which can be a difficult combination. And so his declaration is being you know, is, is is being parts of it are being ripped apart. And Franklin sees this awkwardness. And then so Franklin does a very Franklin like thing. He tells a funny story and he says, you know, this reminds I, I never write documents for public bodies because I see what's going on here. And it reminds me of an old friend of mine, John Thompson, who was apprenticed to be a hat maker. And when he finally sets up on his own, he wants to make a sign for his hat shop. So he makes a sign that says, John Thompson uh, buys and repairs hats here for ready money. And then he shows this sign to all his friends. And one friend says, well, you don't need here because, of course, the sign is where your shop is. So you don't have to put here I am on the sign. Then someone else says, you don't need to say and and repairs hats because everybody who sells hats also repairs them. And then, you know, and so friend after friend says, well, you can cut out this and you can get rid of that. And then the final result is that the sign only says John Thompson and it has a picture of a hat. (laughs) You know, and this is Franklin. I mean, he's doing it to distract Jefferson. Yeah. And he's making a point saying, look, you know, don't don't sweat it. This this will be fine. Right. And 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 I do. And as I say, we know this because Jefferson himself tells the story years later. So he's he's got enough of a sense of humor that he can see that he needed to be jollied along a little bit. I love this because, you know, when we think about this, we just think about a, a bunch of men sitting in a room, you know, about to sign this thing. But to know each individual's personality that they can joke around with. With one another and they can have those moments that just it adds to the experience of thinking about how we earned our independence and and declared our independence i should say what's the most scandalous thing that one of these signers of the declaration of independence did well um i can think of a couple things one one poor man gets killed the following year his name is button Gwinnett. He's from Georgia and he's Mm. killed in a duel. And it's a duel about some argument that arises in the Georgia militia. And a lot of the dueling in late 18th century America is between military men. They they are obviously accustomed to violence. And as military men, they're they're very concerned with their rank and their honor. So you put those two together and that's an explosive mixture. So uh, Alexander Hamilton is not the only founding father uh, to be killed in a duel. There's there's Gwinnett. uh, There will be another signer of the Constitution besides Hamilton, who will also be killed in a duel. 
And you have to remember, dueling is illegal everywhere. Deaths and duels are considered murders, but they As are they should be never. They are never prosecuted because no jury will convict. Why? How could you convict? This is what mm. gentlemen do. So it's like jury nullification. And mm. so it takes years for the practice to die out. I'm glad that's uh, changed, Richard. Thank goodness. Yeah, no, no, it's a wicked custom. It really was a wicked custom. But but it's interesting that these these um, polite, intelligent, educated men, so many of them accepted it, hmm. simply accepted it. Yeah, Another this this is not scandalous. This is more more tragic. Uh, and it shows it shows something important about America at the time. One of the delegates from New York is a man named Lewis Morris. Uh, his mother is a loyalist. She will remain loyal to the crown throughout the war. Uh, one of his brothers is a general in the British Army, uh, and he he asks uh, his superior officers not to post him to America during the revolution, and they, they do him that favor. They mm-hmm. post him to the Mediterranean, but he's in the British Army. And then another half-brother of his will write the Constitution, will be the draftsman of the Constitution, 11 years later. So you have this family that is split down the middle. And America itself was split. Uh, There were a lot of Americans who uh, did not like uh, the move for independence. Uh, Some of them fought against it. Uh, They fought on the British side. There were also lots of Americans who were You know, they were either indifferent or they were waiting to see which way the wind blew. They were on the fence. And when he's an old man, John Adams guesses that it was a third, a third, a third. Now, you know, he didn't he didn't take any polls. That's just kind of a a guess of his. And and one thing that that changes those proportions, but it takes, you know, the war unfolding to do it is the bad behavior of particularly of the auxiliaries on the British side, not so much the British regulars, but uh, their their loyalist auxiliaries, uh, because people who are not in your formal army are tend to be less disciplined. And so they commit atrocities. Uh, they 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 bully local populations and so on. And and that behavior turns a lot of the fence sitters towards independence. But uh, we should always remember that that um, this was a difficult decision and this was a controversial decision. And it, uh, it, it remains so throughout the course of the war. Right. And like I said before, it is interesting to hear the stories behind everyone who did sign the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, I'm looking at some of these other ones. Francis Hopkinson. He's the one who was the also the organist and the composer. And um, Benjamin Harrison. Benjamin Harrison is the father, will be the father of a man who becomes president. And he is the great grandfather of another man who becomes president. Mm. So William Henry Harrison and Benjamin Harrison are direct descendants of this Benjamin Harrison. And the joke there is that when William Henry runs for president, he he runs as the log cabin and hard cider candidate because he lives in a log cabin and he drinks hard cider. Well, no, he was the son of this wealthy, prominent Virginia planter. You know, the only log cabins he saw were probably the ones the slaves lived in on the old plantation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
that was a little political BS from the 19th century. Yeah, well, you know, we we deal with politics on a day to day basis. So, you know, it's that's been around forever, I guess. Um, what I love, uh, William Ellery says he loved gardening, calligraphy and Greek. That would be great for a dating profile nowadays, I think. Uh, if you were educated, you knew Greek. Uh, if you know, if you went to college and there were little colleges already in America, uh, Harvard was the oldest one. Yale had already begun. Princeton is up and running. And there are about uh, maybe maybe five others. But you knew Latin and you knew Greek. And and a lot of people also knew Hebrew, especially if they were if they ever considered becoming ministers uh, ministers in the established churches like uh, like the Congregationalists or the Presbyterians, you needed to know your Greek to read the New Testament and you needed to know your Hebrew to read the Old Testament in the original. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they, they weren't uh, weren't a lot of electives in college in those days. <laughs> right, right. I just want to go back to John Hancock for a second, too. I mean, can you just tell the story? I think people it's a pretty widely known story, but why we call a signature the John Hancock? Well, the obvious thing is that it's it's so big. I mean, he's there he is and and he his signature is like twice as big as anybody else's. <laughs> and I guess he felt, you know, entitled because he was the the president or the presiding officer of Congress. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head when we started, you know, calling signatures that. But it's, uh, you know, if you just look at these copies of the declaration, it's it's pretty obvious where it comes from. Would you sign your name that big, Richard? <laughs> uh, I hope I would have signed. You know, I hope I wouldn't have been <laughs> one of the fence sitters, but you know, who knows? It's very easy to say, oh, yes, I would have done the right thing back then. But, you know, they don't know how this is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. They don't know. Uh, yeah. And they're putting, they're putting their lives on the line. Yeah, the people who were on the fence, was it mostly because they were afraid of putting their lives on the line or were there other reasons why they were kind of sitting on the fence? Well, the ones who didn't sign, I should say. You know, some people might not have felt any bite from the British Empire yet in their daily lives. So why are we doing this? What's this all about? Uh, You know, some people are just not political, never are. Uh, have you have you read the story Rip Van Winkle recently at all? Not it's recently. In, well, you know the story. The man, the man, the man falls asleep for twenty years. He meets these these uh, people who are actually dead, mm-hmm. and they they give him this magical drink, and he falls asleep for twenty years. But when he wakes up, he slept through the revolution. You know, so he fell asleep, a subject of, of Britain in this sleepy little Dutch town in upstate New York. And then he wakes up and all of a sudden it's the United States and he doesn't understand what's this flag and what are all these people talking politics about. And, you know, that's the joke of the story because he's been asleep. But it's also there are lots of people like that, mm. you know, and it's not it's not the worst thing in the world to just be to living your daily life. And so a lot of the fence sitters were like Rip Van Winkle. They were just, uh, you know, look, I'm I'm on my farm or I'm I'm in my shop. And, and what's this all about? And, and why are you bothering me? Right. 
Richard, if you could choose any of these signers to step into the shoes of, which one would you choose? It could be it could have to do with maybe the life that he lived or the the effect that he had by signing this. I mean, it really could have any reason, but I want to know who and why. Well, it would have to be Franklin and and simply because I'm a journalist myself uh, and and he's he's such a great one. And it would be fun to be as fun as he was, mm-hmm. you know, to be as sharp and as uh, as as protean, as as able to do anything as as he was. Um, that would be that would be nice. That would be nice. And, and what do you think is the most important thing for people to know about the signing of the Declaration of Independence and what it means to us nowadays as we celebrate the Fourth of July? Well, I think it's in those opening paragraphs, the ones that explain why we have a right to do this. And it's because we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. Now, we didn't make up our rights. Our rights are not human creations. They weren't uh, created by the Continental Congress. They're not not created by any Congress or by any men. They're things we're born with, that mm-hmm. men and women are born with as men and women. They have them. And that's a revolutionary idea. It still is. It still is. And that's that's the most important thing about the Declaration and, and I think about the revolution and about the whole American experience. I love that answer, and it's very true. The whole American experience, that's what we're celebrating on 4th of July. And Richard, thank you so much for all the context to this holiday and the signers of the Declaration of Independence. We appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. All right, have a good one and happy 4th of July. All right, if you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways from my conversation with Richard Brookheiser on the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Number one, I was struck by the risk these men took to declare independence. As Richard mentioned, though they might have had a sense of humor about it, at times, these men thought they would have faced death by hanging for having signed this declaration. Number two, Richard says that July 4th is the day we declared our independence. He reminded me that this day would not have been as influential if we had not backed it up. This declaration was followed by six more years of fighting and an eventual peace treaty. Without that victory, Richard reminds us that the 4th of July would mean nothing. And number three, Richard emphasizes that one of the most important parts of this day is to remember that we have been given these inalienable rights by our creator. The signers wrote the declaration with the confidence that these rights were naturally given to us from the time of our creation. Thanks so much for joining me during this lesson on the signers of the Declaration of Independence. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.